0: They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are Monsters Out of the Closet. I'm Nicole.
1: I'm Tara. And I'm Shreya. Cast your memories back to childhood, dear listeners. Remember those imaginary friends that felt so real? The monsters that lurked under the bed? or that hand-me-down doll that watched you in an all-too-human way. Toys have always provided ample canvas for worlds of imagination and terror. Gather round, young ones, as we reopen the toy box.
0: Do you remember your favorite childhood toy? The toy that accompanied you to bed? as a talisman to ward off the monsters hiding in the shadows of your nightlight. In our first piece, we meet a boy whose beloved teddy bear serves as comfort and protection against a house full of very real horrors. Laffy was written by Matthew L. Reyes and features Jack Strudwick as Elliot, Cole Burkhart as the other little boy, Eric Little as Daddy, Kim Evans as Mama, and VXN as The Policeman. Please be advised that this piece contains non-graphic depictions of pedophilia.
2: Laffy did it. I feel like I can trust you because you came up to me just now when you saw me sad and you were friendly. Plus, you're my age, so I'll tell you about Laffy. Mama and Daddy are still in the motel room, and they hardly notice me these days. So I can tell you the whole truth. It's not what I tell other people though. They think it was only an accident. Besides, Mama and Daddy wouldn't believe me anyways. They say I make things up. They said the same thing when I told them about the face in the back of the cabinet in my bathroom. The one that only appears when I'm alone in there. And when I said there was a little boy inside our walls who wanted to be my friend, they rolled their eyes. I'm not making Laffy up. For one, Laffy is a real, honest to goodness teddy bear. And he's the best old teddy bear you could ever want. We got him in Lafayette when I was only three and brought him all the way back to Alexandria to live with us. He's a little brown bear with black eyes and a light brown button nose. After we got Laffy, The little boy in the wall said I was safe from most of the bad stuff, now that Laffy was around. The face in my bathroom cabinet was one of those bad things. The boy in my wall said that the face was the bad man, that he'd hurt me if I wasn't careful. So I tried to never go potty after bedtime, but sometimes I couldn't hold it till morning, and I'd go, shaking the whole time. I'd stand on my stool to be able to put my hand on the cabinet knob to keep it closed. If I was feeling brave, I'd dare myself to open it. It was mostly empty, but sometimes the face in the wood would look out at me from behind the Tylenol and the bubblegum tummy drink. It had horns and sharp eyes, and I could feel it looking at me even if I kept the cabinet shut. Mostly I was too scared to open it. Sometimes I couldn't help it. I was glad that the face went away after Laffy came. And I loved having the boy visit my bedroom, even though Mama and Daddy don't believe in him. He mostly came and went as he pleased. His eyes were dark and nice, the sort of eyes you look at and you just know you're looking at a friend. His hair was fluffy and light brown, and he always smiled at me when he floated through the walls down to my bed. I thought he was pretty, even though his head was a little bent on his neck. I wish that he could be with me in my room all the time, and once I even told him that maybe we could stay together forever. He'd just smile and stare, and sit with me and talk a while, and then go away. I had told Mama and Daddy about the boy who lives in the walls and about how he was pretty.
3: You don't say that,
2: Daddy had told me. You
3: don't call boys pretty. Girls are pretty, Elliot, and the boy doesn't exist. Stop making things up.
2: During that talk, Mama had only sipped her coffee, which is a drink that smells gross and stings my nose, but she says it helps her stay awake. I sipped it once when they weren't looking and I spat it back in the cup because it tasted like tires. What daddy said didn't matter because Laffy protected me. The little boy in the walls was my friend, and they were both my secret since nobody believed me. So sometimes the boy would tell me that he thought about moving on. I told him that he had to stay because we were friends. He would always smile and say,
4: Well, I might stay a spell longer. I can't protect you like Laffy, but I can be your friend you still want me.
2: I did. Laffy did it. And I hope you believe me. You can stop looking at me all funny. I promise that it's all true. It wasn't me. And it wasn't the boy who floats in my walls. I don't think Mama and Daddy would believe me if I told the truth. Still, I wouldn't tattle on Laffy like that. He's special, and I want him to be with me forever and always. The first time something special happened was just after we got him. Mama and Daddy and I went to the Alexandria Mall because there was a sale. That's a thing when a store sells things for not as much money, and the grown-ups go and end up spending a ton of money on the sale, and then you get yelled at because you asked for a toy but it wasn't on sale. Toys never are. After the mall, we came home to find Laffy sitting in the middle of the living room floor. At first, we didn't notice him because his fur is brown and the carpet is brown. Mama almost stepped on him, though, and she fussed at me.
1: How many times have we told you not to leave your toys out?
2: But I didn't. You didn't? Nope.
1: Don't talk to your mother that way. No, ma'am. So, how did Laffy end up on the floor?
2: I shrugged. I had him in my bedroom on my bed where he always lives. Mama narrowed her eyes.
1: What happens when you tell
2: a lie? She paused, then screamed after picking Laffy up. Oh! He was sitting on top of a big, juicy spider, on its back with its legs curled. It was shiny and black, but on its belly there was a red marking like a big X. Mama kicked at it with her shoe, but it was dead.
0: That's a black widow. I need to check for more.
2: So Daddy checked for spiders. There weren't any others. They said it was a coincidence that I dropped Laffy on the spider, but it must have already been dead. A coincidence is what grown-ups blame when something weird happens, and they don't want to bother explaining it. A lot of coincidences happened with Laffy around. I would talk to him at night. He never answered back with his voice, because he had no mouth. But I could imagine what he would say if he did answer, so we stayed up late a lot of nights. Mama would sneak up to the door and listen and she thought I didn't know she was there, but Laffy told me, Mama, is everything okay? I'd ask it quiet, and she'd clear her throat and say, Just
0: checking, baby.
2: Then she'd leave, and I'd tell Laffy about the boy who lives in the walls and how much I wished that he'd come around more. It had been forever since he'd last come, and I guessed he was being friends with other kids, but I still missed him. He was the only friend I had with a mouth. Mr. Brad was a man from church, and Daddy's friend. He lived alone, and Daddy always said that after his first wife left him, Mr. Brad hadn't been the same. He did things around the neighborhood for folks, like cutting their grass and skinning their swimming pools, though I don't know what that means. Daddy and Mama trusted him, so sometimes he would babysit me. Those nights would make me feel tumbly and sick inside my belly. He'd act super fun and happy, but sometimes he would look at me weird. It was sort of like when we had a cat named Scruff, who died before we got Laffy. Sometimes he'd meow at his food bowl, even when he'd eaten, and he'd look all wide-eyed and hungry. Mr. Brad had that look sometimes. The worst thing was that, when Mr. Brad started watching me, the face in the bathroom cabinet came back, and another appeared on the sliding wood door between the kitchen and the back hall. It was long, with narrow eyes. I told Mama and Daddy about the faces coming back. They ignored me. Mr. Brad had done such a good job of babysitting me that Mama and Daddy used him instead of Barbara. I didn't like that. Barbara was strict and made me go to bed at my normal bedtime. But she also read me stories and once let me paint my little fingernail with her nail polish. And I always felt warm and happy around her. The faces didn't come when she was around. After the first few times he watched me, Mr. Brad started to sit on my bed. I try to go to sleep and he'd sit there and watch me. Sometimes he would touch my knee and ask if I was still awake. I'd say yes, and that's when Laffy started to tell me that I really needed to watch out for Mr. Brad. Every time Mr. Brad visited my room, he would stay with me longer, and I didn't like it, but he said he just wanted to make sure I slept good. I wanted to tell Mama and Daddy about that too, but they never believed me about anything. What was the point? One night, when I was just nodding off, Mr. Brad yelled so loud the whole house shook. I jumped up. What is it? He held a hand up, and there was blood on his finger. He said that something had bitten him, or scratched him. He said it hurt, and stood up and looked around like maybe there was a bug that had got him. I looked at Laffy. He sat on my lap, even though he'd been near my head when I'd first tried to go to sleep. Mr. Brad saw me looking and glared at Laffy, and then back at me, and got up and left the room. After that, Mr. Brad stayed in the living room and would put on tapes of men wrestling with lots of women and sometimes I would sneak out of my room to make sure he was still in the living room. I remembered what Laffy had said, that I should be careful, so I made sure to hide really good behind the couch so Mr. Brad wouldn't see me. I waited and watched. I didn't know what I was waiting for, but Laffy told me to wait. He's the bestest teddy bear you'd ever want. He always looks out for me. I'll always do what he tells me because he knows best. Things were fine for a while. And then the little boy came back. Laffy did it to protect me. I know he did. That's why I'm not going to say anything to anyone but you. Because I trust you. And I have to tell someone, because I just gotta have someone else know what sort of teddy bear Laffy really is. Just after Halloween, Mr. Brad babysat me again. We did a lot of fun things, and I forgot about Laffy almost. In the kitchen, we carved pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns, and Mr. Brad made funny faces to match the pumpkin faces, and I laughed. Then we watched the movie with the witches, and it was funny, and I laughed at all the right parts, and Mr. Brad laughed even though he was looking at me for most of the time. I begged to stay up a little bit more, just a little bit more, and he said okay, and I stayed up reading one of my books in bed. When I was reading, the door to my bedroom opened. I looked up, nobody there. Hello? I heard something crawling on the carpet, a monster. It made a low growling noise and whispered my name. I crouched against the wall my bed was pushed against. It was hard to breathe. The thing whispered my name slow and drawn out. gulped, grabbed my pillow and squeezed it tight, pushed myself to the headboard. I almost messed my pajamas. It scuttled closer, and something at the edge of my bed pulled at the sheets. The monster whispered again and made this low growling noise, and I prayed and tried not to shake. I looked for Laffy. He was gone. It called my name again and said that it was coming to get me. Mr. Brad burst up from the edge of the bed, his face stretched and scary and his eyes red. He screamed at me. I shrieked and he plunged his hands onto my belly and started tickling me until I laughed. He yelled in a voice he meant to be funny that he was going to get me and called himself the tickle monster. Something about that made me feel wrong. No! Stop! He wouldn't stop and I felt wrong. My stomach twisted and I was scared. Just as I was about to ask him to really stop, he yelped. Ah! He stood up and looked to the floor. I saw three scratch marks on his arm. Mr. Brad leaned over and picked up Laffy. He scowled, and this time it was serious. He didn't like Laffy, and Laffy definitely didn't like him. Mr. Brad spat out that I was too old for teddy bears, and that a boy my age should have real friends, not stuffed animals. I sat up. I'm not too old. He's special. He is my real friend. Mr. Brad's face darkened. He told me then that he could rip Laffy's head right off and that would teach me and I'd have to go out and get real friends, wouldn't I? He asked it like he already knew the answer. No, don't do it. His eyes were different now, narrow and mean. He pulled at Laffy's head and I could hear the thread stretching. A tiny bit of stuffing came out of Laffy's neck. Stop! He pulled Laffy's head right off and his stuffing spilled over. I cried and my face was hot and wet, but mostly I was angry. I looked up at him and I wanted to hit him, but Mr. Brad was big, really big compared to me. He leaned in, his breath was sour and I wrinkled my nose as he got up real close. He told me that boys don't cry. He told me that I'd never be a man if I cried. And then he said something stranger. He said that he could make me grow up. I didn't know what he meant, but it made the bad feeling in the pit of my stomach return. I felt cold. Mr. Brad stood, and I still cried. He held Laffy's head in one hand and his little body in another. A sob escaped me. Mr. Brad told me that he'd be back after getting rid of Laffy and he slammed the door behind him. How had things gone from funny to awful? Laffy was gone. I tried holding in my tears, and then the laughing started. (laughs) My bathroom is right next to my room, and the cackling coming from the bathroom definitely wasn't Mr. Brad. Something else was happy that Laffy was gone. I cried into my pillow so hard that I felt sick, and then I felt a hand on my shoulder. His hand... I looked up. The pale face emerged from the wall, and the black, hollow eyes and thin lips smiled down at me. And then he was out of the wall, and his face filled out. Those eyes that always made me feel better suddenly appeared right in front of me, face to face. The boy who lived in my wall sat right next to me. I finally felt safe again. His clothes were super old. He kept his hand on my shoulder, and though it was icy cold, it made me feel warm. You're back. My tears stopped.
4: Sorry I was away. Sometimes it's hard to come, but you needed me.
2: I wish you could be with me forever and ever. He smiled.
4: You'll get older, and one day you'll find another boy who's just your age. And you can be friends, and then you'll be happy. I've made sure of it. laffey made sure of it, too.
2: What do you mean? <coughs> Mr. Brad screamed from the living room. A pause... Then he screamed again, this one sounding wet and gurgly. Another noise, like a zipper being pulled apart, and then more shrieking.
4: No! Elliot, you won't always have me. I think you'll move away soon. But Laffy will be there for you, to protect you, and you'll have real friends.
2: Mr. Brad's screaming went higher. It was a wet, gurgling shriek. No! He started crying and saying, please, 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 over and over again. But I didn't understand anything else he said. But I want you to be with me. It it doesn't
4: work that way, but that's okay. Laffy will always be with you. Always?
2: Yes. Why don't you live in Laffy? He raised an eyebrow.
4: <laughs> um, me? In a stuffed bear? i like to have room to move around, thanks."
2: His smirk melted into a soft smile.
4: I've had a lot of friends in this house, but none like you. Maybe I stayed here after Daddy pushed… well, that doesn't matter. I think I couldn't move on before because I was waiting for someone like you.
2: Like me? A low, wheezing sound from the living room sounded only barely like Mr. Brad. The boy tucked the blankets under my chin.
4: Don't let your daddy tell you that boys can't be pretty. Because they can be. I thought the same thing a long time ago. And my daddy told me the same thing a long time ago. But you can... You can be everything when you're older. Knowing that makes me feel like I can move on.
2: Mr. Brad wasn't screaming anymore. I don't like this. I used my upset voice, which usually made people listen. You and Laffy are my only friends. Why can't we stay together? The boy took his hand off my shoulder and put the covers over
4: me. Friends sometimes move on, but as long as you remember me, as long as I'm in your heart, we'll always be friends.
2: He was tucking me in. I didn't want to be tucked in. I want to go see Mr. Brad and see what happened.
4: You really don't.
2: Right after he said this, there was a loud crashing from the bathroom, and another from the kitchen in back hall. A rumbling, high noise like a faraway whistle echoed, and then everything was quiet again. The little boy smiled.
4: The faces in the wood won't hurt you anymore, either. I don't know what they are, but they come with certain people. My daddy brought the first one into this house.
2: So I'm safe from them now? The little boy shook his head. His dark hair falling over his eyes.
4: For now. Someday you'll have to learn to use your power to hurt the things that want to hurt you. Sometimes you have to. But there's enough time for that later. Sleep now.
2: I'm not sleepy.
4: You are. You just don't realize it. Here, I'll sing you a song that my mama used to sing to me, it helped me get to sleep. From this valley, they say you are going We will miss your bright eyes and sweet smile For they say you are taking the sunshine That has brightened our pathway a lot.
2: I don't remember the rest because I fell asleep. I was vaguely aware of a light turning off at one point, and the sheets being pulled up closer to my chin by invisible hands, and a soft caress on my face, and the gentle song. (coughs) Mama's screaming woke me. I sat upright in bed, Scared at first. Laffy was nestled right in the crook of my arm, with his head on and everything. Just like he'd always been. I relaxed. Everything was okay now. I laid my head back down on my pillow as Mama's screams filled the house. Daddy burst into the room. I sat up again. His eyes were wide, and he fell to his knees by the bed and put his hands on my face and babbled,
0: You're okay. Oh, thank God you're okay.
2: Mama came into the room right after and started crying. They cried there over me for several minutes, and then Mama told Daddy to call the police. What happened, Mama?
1: Don't you worry about it, baby.
2: Daddy didn't seem to want to leave us to talk to the police, but he did. I could hear Mama talking to herself about something.
1: All
0: over the ceiling, dear Jesus, and the sink.
2: A little while later, the police came to talk to me. They wouldn't let me go into the living room. Mama and Daddy said that we were going to spend the night in a hotel, but that I had to go through the bedroom window and couldn't go through the living room. The police lady asked me questions about what happened that night. A policeman came into the bedroom at one point with a wallet covered in lumpy red stuff and took a few pictures out and showed Mama and Daddy. And Mama nearly fainted, and Daddy's face turned pale.
3: We found these in his wallet. Did you know he had these? Dear Lord, no. When? Uh, How did he... Through keyholes and windows, probably. That's how these types operate. Jesus. Are there any of Elliot? Not that we know of. Let's go talk in the
2: living room, sir. Daddy nodded. The police lady kept asking me questions, and I told her everything except for the thing that I told you. Laffy did it. I reckon that the boy who lives in the walls in our old house was right. Someday I'll have to learn to use the power he talked about. Mr. Brad was not a nice man, and there are other grown-ups out there who were not very nice. For now, though, Laffy is with me, and that's enough. They still won't tell me exactly what Laffy did, but I know he did it because he's the bestest and smartest teddy bear. We've been at this motel a week, and I didn't bring along anything, except for a few books, and Laffy, of course. Daddy says we aren't going back to that house. Mama and Daddy are still arguing in the motel room. I've been sitting outside on the warm concrete sidewalk with Laffy in my arms, waiting for them to finish fighting. I don't know what Laffy did, but I know he did it for me. And maybe he doesn't have to be my only friend. I'm glad that you believe me because I like you and Laffy likes you very much. Do you want to be friends? Now that the boy who lives in the walls is gone, I need a new one. As long as you don't try to hurt me. I don't think you will. Laffy and I really hope you don't ever try to.
3: Slapstick comedy can be a source of delight for audiences young and old, but some things aren't a laughing matter. In Hand Raised in Anger by Spencer Coley, a young girl watches a puppet show that soon reveals itself to be anything but normal. This piece features Wart Hill as the professor and the puppets, Robin Tynan as Judy, and Matt as Papa. Special thanks to Max Fidalgo for his contribution. Please be advised that this piece contains depictions of fictional domestic violence.
5: Judy's father took her for a holiday at the seaside with meat pies and pasties and bulky bathing suits. Her father missed his favourite radio serial and happy hour at the pub for this, as he reminded her every half hour, so she was going to bloody well have fun. Judy did enjoy herself when people weren't trying to touch her hair or asking why she called this white man Papa and where she was really from. Her father kept in the shade with a sandwich and his flask. Judy could hear pipes and drums, far off but clear above the screaming seagulls and laughing couples. It was a tune you'd hear from the towers of an ivy-coloured castle, or playing round the bonfire in a deep, dark forest. She dropped a little pink shell back into the water, and waded onto the shore. Her father brushed the crumbs from his legs and followed her. The booth waited beyond the crest of the next big dune. It had red and white stripes like a barber pole or a candy cane, but they were wavy and the edges kept flapping in the wind. Some kind of cart was hitched up to the stand, and it looked like it would fall apart if you looked at it cross-eyed. Her father sat her right down in the front row, as it were, before anyone else could come and get in the way. The painted wood frame at the front of the booth was wider than she was tall back then. The salt-bitten oak had curls and whirls and deep shadowed grooves. The faded blue sky curled around the edges of nearly black green and fire truck red, and a sort of purple-pink colour she didn't have a name for. There were suns and moons carved in there, some of them sticking out and some painted on. She could almost make out the figures in the dark gap between the curtains. A sour note broke the spell all of a sudden. The panpipes started up again, and the drum went on beating, but they were interrupted this time by a loud smack. The whole booth shuddered. Little Judy turned to her papa, but he'd been watching a big wave. Other children ran down the hill, slowing as they outpaced their parents or governesses. When they'd all settled down on the sand, the music stopped. An audience of seagulls alighted at the edge of the crowd.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, soldiers and sailors, it is my greatest pleasure to present the mischief and antics of Mr. Punch and the Lovely Judy.
5: The professor of Punch and Judy was a white man with a red cap and long fingers. He shook his left hand as if trying to bring the feeling back into it, and one drop of blood fell onto the sand.
6: I am ably assisted in this performance by Luca di Palermo, a pantomime artist from Exotic Italia. Let's give the man a hand.
5: A short, plump man ducked out from the back of the stand. He grinned and waved his silver noisemaker at the audience. The grease banked smile almost hid his fat lip. He did a handstand, shook off his fluffy orange shoes, and played the drum with his feet. The audience cheered and whooped. Judy tried to point out a bloody tooth on the ground to Daddy, but he didn't notice. Luca wandered around the crowd, shaking a broad-brimmed hat in front of people and making silly faces. The professor squinted into the distance, shielding his eyes and raised a pair of opera glasses.
6: Is everyone here? I'd hate to start early and leave somebody out.
5: He didn't look like a mean man to Judy. He waited politely as a couple of Scottish pensioners waddled towards the booth. He asked the children their names while Luca di Palermo passed the hat. When he got to little Judy, he opened his mouth in feigned shock and clapped for her.
6: Everyone, a round of applause for our starring actress. That
5: got a laugh and some claps. Little Judy stood up and bowed. Then she turned to her father to tell him about the tooth, but he hushed her. When she looked down, it was obscured by scuffling birds. She put a penny in his hat, he gave her a short pipe riff of salute, and then crab-walked over to his bundle of instruments. A wailing kazoo announced the start of the show. "'Hello, boys and girls,' Punch squeaked. The puppet shot up like a viper. His eyes were not painted on or made of glass. They were banded gold-green gems that glowed in the sunlight. His nose stuck out like a crab claw, and his crescent moon face was so long and curved that his chin almost bumped against the bell on his curly cap. The other children, and one of the pensioners, waved to the puppet. Little Judy scooched back against her father. Oi, Punch, you
6: lazy old vandal. What have I been doing slaving over an hot stove all day and minding the baby while you go to work in that nice cool sewer?
5: Judy burst on stage, courtesy of the professor's right arm. She was a red-cheeked woman with dirty blue apron and big fat hips. The grown-ups laughed and some of the kids did too.
6: I'm just saying hello to all these nice people, sweet dear, in the light of my life.
5: The puppet leaned forward, and one gem flashed bright while the other sunk into deep green shadow.
6: "'Punch you, daft old buzzard! What people are you talking and hawking about?'
5: Mrs Judy squealed in a painful falsetto. She leaned over the stage and raised her hand to her painted brown eyes, scanning the crowd without seeing. "'I don't see any!' Crack! The stick hit Judy across the head hard enough to shed chips of paint. Chan the hatman added an abelated whistle and drumbeat. One little boy at the back screamed, but the audience laughed after a few seconds. Little Judy didn't laugh along with her father. Punch lifted up his stick and cracked Mrs. Judy another hard one across the noggin. This time the hatman caught his cue and rang out a series of long whistles as Punch smacked the swaying puppet. Mrs. Judy almost fell off the professor's hand. Little Judy squeezed her father's big firm hand and reminded herself it was just a puppet show. That's the way to do it, Punch boomed. His voice was deep and rich, almost musical, and not the usual ear-rasping shriek. The audience clapped. The professor's arm snaked out of Mr. Judy. The bottle man played a drum roll as Punch shoved his wife off the lip of the stage, and a low note when her body hit the ground inside. The puppet was facing away from little Judy, but she thought it was watching her. Punch danced over to the stage stove and started messing around with pots and pans. A loud whining came from just off stage. What's the matter with Junior now? Punch cackled. Mrs. Milkbag, so do I. Some of the grown ups laughed. Judy leaned up and whispered to her father, I want to go now. Sit
6: down. The show's only just starting,
5: (laughs) her father chuckled. Punch pulled a little prop cradle onto the stage. The baby in it was an old chipped porcelain doll, wrapped in blue blankets. Punch swayed over it, grinning his crescent moon smile, humming and whistling. The baby cried louder and louder. He gave the cradle a little poke with his stick, and it started rocking. Should I sing my son a sweet little song? Punch cooed. Yes, lots of the kids said, and please no, some of the parents shouted. The Scottish pensioners laughed very loudly. Judy didn't see what was funny. Punch winked his gleaming gem eyes again and nodded his crescent head in her direction. The bell jingled.
6: Rock-a-bye, baby, in
5: the treetop. When the wind blows, my baby will rock. The pipes accompanied Punch's lullaby, his voice was so soft and low that children at the back complained they couldn't hear, and one of the old Scottish people brought out an ear trumpet. The song felt like a clammy hand pawing little Judy's hair. She had never seen a Punch and Judy show before then, but she'd heard about them. Sometimes they left out Jack Kedge, the hangman, and sometimes they had the devil, but it always played out a certain way. It was noisy and fast and fun, her friends had said. It wasn't supposed to take its time and let you sweat.
6: When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, fall, fall.
5: He hummed a few bars and gently rocked the cradle.
6: When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall.
5: He picked up the baby, which cried even louder, aided by a shrill kazoo backdrop. He patted it on the back, bracing it with the hand that held the stick.
6: There, there, baby. Be still, little
5: boy. Little Judy held her breath. Punch leaned over her, dangling the baby doll. Then he set it back in its cradle. I'm going to cook some sausages! Judy jumped back when he squealed the last word. Some of the smaller children shrieked. Some of the adults laughed nervously. Punch puttered around the kitchen. Outside, something big and green started rising up behind the cloth. Look out! One little boy shouted. Punch looked behind him. The bulge in wall-coloured sacking froze. He shrugged and returned to his cooking. It jerked along the cloth. Three loud drumbeats sounded.
6: That must be somebody at the door.
5: Punch chuckled. He hurried over to a painted door flap. The crocodile lunged in. This wasn't right. Crocodiles never knocked on doors. The crocodile was supposed to steal his sausages and eat them. Hello there, beautiful. The crocodile's glass eyes flashed in the sun. It wiggled, but it didn't bend or open its jaws. Daddy, I want to go home, Judy whispered. Her father squeezed her hand tight.
6: Honey, I am trying to watch the show.
5: But that's a real crocodile, Judy gasped, trying not to cry. It was, she could see, a baby alligator that somebody had killed and stuffed. A few circling flies landed on its cracked and peeling tail. It is just a play. Now shut up. Yeah, shut up, Professor gasped.
6: Now, 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 don't be rude. Apologize to the young lady.
5: Punch hung his head while the dead crocodile slid closer to his baby.
6: I'm sorry, Judy.
5: Now his voice sounded nothing like the professor. Lots of people could do different voices, like when her father read a story. There was nothing strange about it. The crocodile poked its nose against the cradle. Stop right there! Punch snarled. He leaned over the crocodile and then smacked the baby. The porcelain head shattered. Then he thrust his stick into the crocodile's mouth and smacked it against the wall seven times. That's the way to do it! There was a lot more crying in the crowd, and a lot less laughing, at least from the children. Her father hooted and (laughs) hollered.
6: That's the way to do it, all right. See, honey, it's all fun. Enjoy it!
5: Mr. Punch wrapped the sausages around the crocodile's neck, and it disappeared behind the cloth. The clown from next door came over and he made a squeaky dog-toy noise when Punch banged his head in. That wasn't so bad, aside from Punch's grin looking even wider when he turned back to face the audience. The clown's wife came over, asking where her husband was. Punch leaned up against her, telling her how beautiful she was, and kissed her hand. ''But where is my husband?'' she squeaked. ''I love him so.'' Judy gasped in relief when the she-clown left without incident. A policeman barged in, he asked the audience.
6: What's this all going on in here? Did you do it? It was you what, done it on up?
5: No, it was Punch, Judy sobbed along with several other boys and girls. Punch rose up behind the policeman like a ghost. He grabbed the copper's club, jammed it into his mouth and struck him on the head. He kept hitting him while the seagulls flew away and clouds passed over the sun. "'I want to go home now!' Judy said, not even bothering to hide her tears. Punch dragged the policeman beneath the puppet stage. The policeman screamed for help, gasped, and made wet, sticky sounds. Her father didn't hush her, he just kept staring ahead. Now the puppets moved with a jerky urgency. Everything seemed less smooth and artful, more rough, and the salt-stiffened cloth snapped and cracked. After dragging off the policeman, Punch welcomed the many children of the clowns into the house. He served them bread and tea, then locked the door and dragged up the bodies of their parents. He took out a butter knife and forced each of the children in turn to dance around in a circle, and Judy couldn't tell the crying children on the stage from the crying children in the audience. The backdrop had turned to a shining silver moon and a rich starry night while she focused on the characters in the foreground. Jack Ketch, the executioner, finally brought punch to the moonlit gallows. The seagulls were circling overhead, but none of them landed anywhere near the booth. The sea air turned sharp and cold. Don't let him trick you! Don't try out the noose!" Judy begged. For once, Jack Ketch didn't let Punch trick him into hanging himself. But Punch asked for a priest to perform the Last Rites. Jack Ketch grumbled and when his back was turned, Punch swung the noose over him. The body jerked up into the air and the hangman's neck snapped with a loud crunch. Even some of the grown-ups cried out in distress. Punch poked the figure. A huge, wet fart issued from the booth. Everyone burst into relieved laughter. Punch started waving and bowing. Judy frowned. The devil was supposed to come up and drag Punch down to hell. The wind stirred the air. The booth smelled horrible. Judy wondered if the professor had farted for real, but she could smell worse stinks than just bad gas. It reminded her of the tannery she had to pass on her way to school. Punch cackled and bonked the sides of the stage. That's the way to do it! That's the way to do it! There was no question about it. His smile had grown much, much wider. His gemstone eyes gleamed blue. Judy was positive. The curtain started to sag closed. Judy saw the devil puppet lying discarded on the ground. It didn't look very satanic. It was an angel covered in sequins and glitter with just a hint of flame-coloured foil on the wings and a skull painted onto its face. She ran forward before her dad could pull her back. Punch cocked his head. Judy yanked the devil puppet on her hand. Her dad snatched after her and the other parents shouted. She kicked him in the shins to make him let go. She raised up the devil puppet and whacked Punch with it punch slumped back. The whole booth shuddered with the blow. Because of where she stood, when it almost tipped over, she saw something that no one else did through the loose flap. Her father dragged her away, and the other patrons threw soda bottles and shouted at her. She didn't care. She'd seen the Professor of Punch and Judy. His lips were blue, his pants soiled his neck a mess of purple bruises.
3: Our playtime is drawing to a close, dear listeners. Time to return our fluffy friends and plastic pals to their toy chest. But keep one eye open. You may find your toys have a life of their own.
1: Thank you to Matthew L. Reyes and Spencer Coley for contributing to this episode, and to Jack Strudwick, Cole Burkhart, Eric Little, Kim Evans, VXN, Robin Tynan, Bort Hill, and Matt for their performances. Special thanks to Max Fidalgo for acting support. Featured music was by Eric Matias and Blue Dot Sessions. To learn more about our pieces, artists, and readers, please visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com.
0: As always, our most sincere thanks to our supporting producers, Lindsay Holt, Lurtis Kaland, Sarah Lopez, Andy Hunter, and Matthew Morrison. And of course, we couldn't do this without you, our monstrous listeners.
3: Our next episode, Uncanny, will be released soon. In the meantime, Join the unearthly crowd at monstersoutofthecloset.tumblr.com of the closet. and at pod underscore monsters on Twitter.
1: Until next time, Monsters Out.